Hello, and welcome to New Hope Christian Fellowship with Pastor John Gilbert. We, we struggle to comprehend and to understand the true depths of the love of our Saviour Jesus Christ. We're so grateful, Father, that you sent him into this world to save sinners. And Paul has said that he is the worst, and he's such a clever and wise man that we all tread in his footsteps and follow in his footsteps. For we know what it is to fall short of the glory of God. But we're just so grateful, Lord Jesus, that the song says that you more or less came to make a wretch your treasure. And Lord, that's all we are. We're wretches. And we're just so grateful that you make something out of us. We're just so grateful because of this love of yours. We do ask your blessing on the sermon in Jesus' name. Amen. So, what I've done... I've read a passage from the letter to the Romans, okay, and it is a very profound passage, but it's not easy to read, and not only is it easy to read, it's not easy to understand, because the more, when you first read it, you think this is more or less bordering on madness. But it's not. The longer you, be, you are a Christian, the longer you know Jesus, the longer you walk with Jesus, the more that passage makes sense to you. And I get in a good nod of the head from the, on my right-hand side. So the, the, the nods to the right are with Paul Rumney. The nods to the left, there's none there at all. <laughs> so Paul knows where I'm coming from. So... The title of the sermon is this, An Encounter with Failure. An Encounter with Failure. It's worth considering. We turn to Psalm 51 and we know if you walk with the Lord a long time and you read this passage, we could read it very quickly, but there was one verse that I'm attracted to. I'll read it. If you give me a couple of minutes. Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly, from my iniquities, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. 
Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than the snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. I'll stop there. Now, I draw your attention to that verse. Restore unto me the joy of salvation. So, we find David, something's gone wrong. He's the king. He's the king of Israel. But something's gone wrong. This this, this man is out of fellowship with God. Something extremely went wrong. It's a serious situation. He has, as a man, as a leader, as a king, as a father, as a daddy, he has failed. He's the king of Israel. And some people would panic and shake and say, what? Isn't this of who they said a man after God's own heart? They say it of many people. Because many people, many men, they have a zeal and a passion for God to serve God and to give their all to God. But they don't realise Sometimes pride comes before a fall. Sometimes we think, oh, we did a good outreach last week, didn't we, Dominic? And we, we preached to the multitudes, and we saw some people getting saved, and, and, and things like that. Well, pride creeps in, doesn't it, Dom? We think we're head and shoulders above others. We think we're the best. We think that, that everybody needs us. Yeah? That's what we're like, us men. Am I alone? No. There are many people, many men with feet of clay. Yeah, we all do things, something wrong, sometime. And we want to be a man after God's own heart. But is David alone in the Old Testament? I mean, after all, it's him who spoke these words. It's the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God has brought him under conviction. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He convicts us of our sins. And he has come upon David and David feels terrible. Terrible. He's not alone though. I was thinking about it. I thought of Abraham who had this, this ability to say half truths. For example, when he went to Egypt, I think it was, and stayed with Abimelech, and he had his wife, Sarah. He didn't say, this is my wife. He said, this is my sister. 
kind of half truth. I'm not saying that he deceived him, yeah? It's a half truth. He was telling the truth though, wasn't he, Jackie? And what about Noah? Delivered through that flood? Saw multitudes, upon multitudes, drown in the flood? Yeah? And God, he spent a hundred years building an ark. God used him and delivered him and took him through that catastrophic event. And afterwards, he planted a vineyard. And what did he do? He sat down and, and took from the fruit of the vineyard and he got drunk. That's what it says. A man after God's own hearts. And what about Adam? The first man to walk upon the face of the earth in the garden. A paradise. Paradise. With his beautiful wife Eve, he was quite categorically told the commandment, the first commandment, thou shalt not eat from the tree of the fruit of the... Let me say that again. Thou shalt not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yes? And what happened? He disobeyed. He yet. Well, we heard last week from Phil what happened. And, and, and I'll just quickly go on because there's a lot to cover. Creation fell. Paradise fell. It, it, sin came in. Death came in. The devil had free reign and had free reign right up until the time of Jesus Christ. But Adam did the wrong thing. Solomon God anointed Solomon to be king after David. And he, he asked him, he said, ask for me, whatever you want, I will give it to you. And he was very humble. He said, I tell you what, I need wisdom to lead your people. God gave him wisdom. And he said, because you've asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you everything else as well. And what did he do? Well, what we know, the wisest man that ever lived outside of the Lord Jesus he just loved women. He couldn't get enough of them. And do you know how many women he had? Yeah? He had about 700 wives and 350 concubines. And what did that do? It says in scripture, be careful, I'm paraphrasing, because the women will take your heart away from God. And that's exactly what happened. And he went astray. He went astray in his mind and in his heart and he started, he says it in somewhere in the scripture, that he worshipped those wives' gods. So if they were from Egypt, he was worshipping the Egyptian gods. Solomon. But by the grace of God, when you read Ecclesiastes, which he, we believe he wrote, he says somewhere near the end, just worship God. You know, it's as if he repented and came full circle back round. So, what about Jonah? Jonah the prophet. God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach 40 days, then destruction. What did he do? He went in the other direction. So, it's quite, I'm comforted. I'm comforted to read that David is not alone. And, 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 and I'll say, what about Samson? 
Jackie's already quoting Samson and, and I'm lip reading before my very eyes because she knows he, I don't want to say the words he played the fool. I don't want to say them. Because when I meet him, he's going to say, what did you call me? And I'll be in trouble. He lost his eyesight. He lost his eyesight. And men, men, if we want to be men of God, an encounter with Satan, when we are tempted, when we are tempted by the devil, remember, Satan is going to try and make you disabled. That's what he wants to do. Because Samson lost his eyesight as a, as a result of his encounter with Delilah. An encounter, Joey, the sermon title, by way of introduction, I'm still on the intro, it's called An Encounter with Failure. I wish someone preached this to me when I was a young Christian. I wish they preached it to me every week while I was a young Christian. So I say, each of these men that I've just quoted, and there are more, there are more, even Daniel. You would think Daniel wasn't a sinner, but Daniel himself confesses in a prayer, I think it's chapter 9, that he sinned. He sinned. You'd never believe it, but it's true. What I'm going to say as I move on to my next point is that any one of these men could have wrote Psalm 51. Any one of them. But the Lord chose David. Now my next point, my first point is this. All the men I mentioned had known the joy of godly fellowship. And, and likewise, all of us, we have known the joy of fellowship, even this morning. We come into God's presence and we sing how deep the Father's love for us with all of our heart, all our soul, all our strength. And we love it. But let me remind you, David has written Psalm 51. Is that not correct? Yes. And did he not say, restore unto me the joy of salvation? Well, that tells me, it tells me that he knew what it was to be saved. He knew. He knew fellowship with God. He was close with God. And I'll give you some definitions of, and, and examples from the Psalms. He says in Psalm 9 verse 1, he says, I will praise thee. Doesn't he? I will praise thee. And then Psalm 21.1 says, The king shall joy in thy strength. And Psalm 23 verse 5 says, My cup runneth over because of the blessing of God in his life. And Psalm 34 verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. At what time? At 12.30? 12.20? No! At all times, throughout the whole day. I will bless the Lord. Wonderful. The Old Testament saints that I mentioned, yes, they knew close fellowship with God, just 
like David. They all had, they walked with God. They talked with God. He, they were friends with God. They did what God asked them to do. Didn't they? They all knew the joy of forgiveness. They all knew the, the joy of the, the assurance of heaven to come. They knew the, the presence of the Lord in their own life. They knew. That's why that when God asked them to do something, they did it. So, joy is available to every one of us. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And the New Testament, we understand and know that the gospel comes to us because of the knowledge that we have about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we believe in him. And I tell you, it says that he that repents of his sin, yes, he that turns to Jesus Christ for forgiveness of his sins, Jesus is willing to baptise you in the Holy Spirit. Is that not true? Is it not true? And with the baptism of the Spirit, what are you going to have? You're going to have the joy of the Lord in your life. That your heart, the temple of your body, that the Holy Spirit of God should come and dwell in your hearts by faith. You will know the joy of the Lord, who is your strength. Yes? So let me say this to you. Many Old Testament men had lost the joy of godly fellowship, including David, the man after God's own heart. That's why we read this word in verse 12. Look, verse 12, please. Restore. Restore. Restore! It indicates that he had it before. He had the fellowship that I'm talking about. We could read Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Those are words from a man who ain't depressed. They're words of a man who's happy. They're words of a man who's having fellowship with God. Yes? When you study the whole psalm, you study it, I've read it once, you examine every, every verse up to verse 13, you're going to say, this man is extremely depressed. He's, he's extremely worried. He's extremely concerned. Perhaps God's going to take the Holy Spirit from him. Perhaps he's going to lose the tender mercy of God in his life. God says in verse 6, Thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Perhaps he's been telling a pack of lies. We could quite easily say that. And he says, and in the hidden part, and in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Isn't that something that we all need? I think it is. He says there, verse 7, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. What does that mean? I'll tell you. When you was a man, and, oh, I don't know, you still are men. I hope there's no transgender stuff going on around here. But as a man, 
In those days you went to the temple once a year. A sinner. Once a year you went there to have your sins washed away. The priest would be in the temple and he would have a branch. A branch of the hyssop plant. That's why it says it, isn't it? Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. So he get, you, the man brought the, the lamb to the sacrifice. He gave the lamb to the priest. The priest took the lamb, a lamb that had no spot, no blemish, no, not disabled, a perfect lamb. Every man had to do it for his own sins and the sins of his household. And what did the priest do? He would offer it as a sacrifice. Probably he burnt the lamb to, to be a sweet aroma to God. But the blood, he took a branch from the hyssop plant and he dipped it in the blood and he would sprinkle the man. The blood would go over the man. And as a, a man, if that was us, any one of us, and we did that, we would think, oh, God has cleansed me from my sins. You understand me? That's what happened. Make me. He says it. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. So whatever sins the man had committed or the family had committed throughout the year, they did it once a year. They would want the, the, the darkest of their sins, black as darkness. They wanted it to be white as snow. And that's why David is echoing these words. And, and probably every man that stumbled, every man that sinned, that wanted to be close to God, that these were the things that were on their heart. Oh. Study the psalm, read it. But David's not alone in his depression, as I said. Adam, if you saw Adam after the fall, coming out of the garden with his wife, and the, there was an angel with a revolving sword so they couldn't get back into paradise. If you'd have gone to see him, he said, Adam, what's the matter? Oh, the grief, the pain, the, the anguish, depression. You say, Adam, I, you need to go to the doctor. Yeah? Get some happy pills. Ah, oh, the pain. Could you imagine what he's just gone through? The fellowship with God, to walk in the garden at the cool of the day, to have sweet fellowship, talking to Jesus Christ in the garden, naming the animals. God brought them to him one by one. What fellowship, what wonder. Oh, fantastic. And then you see him. You can imagine. He wanted to die a thousand times. I'm telling you the truth. Pain. Anguish. Depression. David, you've been in Hilland. Adam would have gone there and never come out. He would have said, oh, that's just the pain of, of losing the paradise. There is a writer, his name is John Milton. I've never read any John Milton. I don't know if you have, you know, but some people have. He wrote a book, guess what it's called? Paradise Lost. And I'm sure, I'm sure, Jeffro will tell us, or, or Dom, 
it could be based on the lo the loss of the Garden of Eden. Is it true, Jeffro? Not sure, Dom. Oh, this is a real university challenge, isn't it? What about he wrote another book called Paradise Regained? And how do we get to Paradise Regained? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paradise regained. We keep walking the walk, talking the talk. We'll be with Jesus. We'll go to glory. Paradise regained. I'll come back to that when I mention Romans 8.1 at the end. Please remind me. What about Jonah? What about Jonah? God has said, Jonah, I wonder if I can find Jonah. There he is. Jonah chapter 2. What's happened? Well, he's been disobedient, yeah? There's been a storm on the sea. He's in a boat. He's asleep in the belly of the boat. And the captain and whoever comes down and they come to see Jonah. They say, what are you doing? We're trying to steady the ship. There's a storm outside, yeah? And he says, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to get hold of me and throw me overboard. That's what he said. Well, he was so depressed. He was so like down because he was disobeying God. And they threw him over so overboard. Let, let me just, Jonah 17, verse 1, chapter 1. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Yeah, that's something you want. Anybody want to be in depression for a good three days? Swallowed by a fish? Let's read chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep into the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then said I, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again towards thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depths closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottom of the mountains. The earth with her bars were about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption? Oh, Lord my God! When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came. It came in unto thee, into thy holy temple. Uh, so they, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that which I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. There's a man praying. There's a man in the belly of a fish at the depths of the mountains. He's been disobedient. He is far from happy. And this is a prayer of a man crying out for deliverance. God help me. God help us. Hey? So there's Jonah. 
in the belly of a fish. And it's a true story. Mark my word. If you don't believe it, come and see me afterwards. I'll tell you another story. Yes? I could tell you now. I could tell you now. It's got half an hour. Have you got the time? Yes? There was a man that died a year or two ago. His name was Andrew Bartley. He lived in Hemel Hempstead, Mr. Bartley. And do you know, do you know, he had a great-granddad or a great-great-uncle. And this great-great-uncle, yeah, he knew a whaler. Do you know what a whaler, I'm not talking about Bob Marley and his band, yeah, the whalers. I'm talking about in back in the day when men, uh, maybe the women, they, they used to go out in their ships and harpoon a whale with a, a, a spear-like harpoon. They used the whales. They used the, the fat of a whale and they used to put it in a, in a street lamppost in Victorian England. And they used, it used to keep the wick alight for hours. That's what they did. So he went out, he's probably Victorian times, and they saw a whale, and do you know what happened? In the excitement, in the frantic excitement of seeing this whale and getting the harpoon ready and firing this spear, you know what happened? Somehow Mr. Bartley fell overboard. He fell overboard on this whaling uh, exercise or this hunt for a whale, and the whale saw him and swallowed him. This is a true story. And this Mr. Bartley was inside the whale, do you know, for one and a half days. They, the same whale that he got swallowed by, they harpooned it. And they, they lost Mr. Bartley, the captain and the crew probably thought Bartley's drowned. Not knowing that the whale or the, the, the it was a whale, swallowed him. And they, they towed the whale back to coast. When they got back to coast, whoever, the butchers or whatever you call it, you know, like, they cut it up. They found Bartley inside the whale. This is a true story. It's in the history books. He'd been in there one and a half days. And guess what? He was a friend of the captain. He lost his mind. He lost his marbles. And the captain was friends, said, look, Mr. Bartley, let's hang out together. And it took two weeks and he started coming back round. That's a true story. Huh? I don't know, Michael. We could go looking for a whale and get someone to be swallowed up by it and see how they come back out. You ain't been swallowed by a whale lately, have you, Mick? No. No. He was? He was still alive? Still alive? And the stomach acids, inside the belly of the stomach, it bleached his skin and his hair. You understand? It's a true story. That's why I told you. And then we, we, we focus on dear Samson. And he was a man of God in the times of the judges. And he, he judged Israel like 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. I can't remember the, the figure. 
But for some unknown reason, he was with Delilah. He was a strong man. He was a man after God's own heart. And he spent time with Delilah. And he was a Nazarite. He was set apart for God from his childhood, from his birth. Never ever cut his hair. And the, the strength of Samson was in his hair. And Delilah was paid money by the, Pharisees, the Philistines. And they said, find out the secret of his strength and we'll give you whatever you want. Or I think that's something like that. And what did she do? Samson thought he liked, she liked him. And all she was interested in finding out was how did he have his strength? And he told her all sorts of stories that weren't true. And finally she wore him out. Men! Men! Be careful! Those women wear you out. Little by little. I'm sorry, Margie. I'm sorry, Jackie. I'm sorry, Anne. But they wear you out! They wear you out! They go on and on and on and on! And he told her, finally, she wore him out. Be careful. You be careful, Liam. He lost his eyesight. They cut his hair off. Now, there, there is a few artists good at painting, and there is one called Caraggio. And I might not be saying it properly. Dom, you know that artist? He's so good. And he has painted a picture of Samson having his eyes uh, taken out with a hot poker. Right? You see that picture? Satan hates us. And Satan wants to render us ineffective. He wants to make you no good for God. You understand me? And he will do everything he can to destroy you so that God, you're no good to God. Even if you overcome or were forgiven for your sins. Do you understand what I'm saying? And we see this with Samson. You think you're strong? You think you're a man after God's own heart? Well, I hope you are. I hope I am. But however strong you are, it's not enough to have your own strength. You need the strength of God in your life because Satan will try to render you ineffective. And it happened. It happened to Samson. It happened to Jonah. It happened to Adam. And it happened to David. It happens. They all had an encounter with failure. And it was a struggle to get over it. So many men, so many men are burdened when they once were blessed. They were blessed because they walked in purity. They were blessed because they walked in with the Spirit of the Lord upon them. I'm telling you, once it was all glory, now it's all gloom. And it, if it can happen to these men, it can happen to any one of us. I'm telling you, David lost it. He he ran off with another man's wife. That's what he. You'd have never thought it. You'd have never dreamed it. You'd have never said, "Nah, not David. Nah, the king, the man after God's own heart." He would never do it, but he did. 
he he should have been at the battle with the man with Joel and, and, and all the other mighty men. He should have been fighting with his sword and, and cutting down the Philistines. But he wasn't. He was having a holiday at home. And he went out one night and he saw a woman and he thought, oh, look at her. That's all it took. Just one look. Just one look. And he couldn't take his eyes off her. And he had to have her. And the commandment says, Thou shalt not covet. He was coveting. He was, I'm telling you, we're men. He's a man. He saw a woman and he thought, I've got to have her. And what did he do? He coveted. He took a look. And that's it. That look, what did it do? It was lust. Full of lust. Oh, God, I have her. He had other wives. Were they not enough? And then he, if, if a look wasn't enough, he had to get around his place and he had to commit adultery. While her husband was in the army fighting for the king and for the country, Uriah. And then because he was worried about her being pregnant, he said, get Uriah, send her around, get him around the house. He wouldn't dream of it. He wouldn't dream of having intimacy with his wife while all of his friends were still on the battlefield. And that wasn't enough. David was getting a bit anxious, getting a bit worried, starting to sweat. So he says to Joab, leave him at the front in the thick of the battle, then draw back. And what happened? Uriah died in the battle because it was David's wish. One sin leads to another sin, which leads to another sin, which makes you think, Oh, we shall never started. Don't you go mad? Don't you? You do. You lose it. You, you're driving in your car down into London, yes, and somebody does something and you want to give them the finger. I'm sorry I'm saying this, but it's true. You want to swear. You say, don't you cut me up. And the man stops, pulls out a baseball bat, and you say, yeah, come on then. Before you know it, you murdered the man. It happens, doesn't it? man went to prison. He stabbed someone. Graham Noy. Because the Stephen Lawrence murder situation has gone on for years and years and years. The two poor black boys at a bus stop. We do not know what the, was said at the bus stop, but they got murdered. And for 30 years on, it's still going on. Cause pain. Cause misery. Cause depression. Yes, when will we stop? Yes, we're, and, and we're talking about David, the man after God's own heart. I'm not talking about me. I'm not talking about you. We're not David, are we? But the same Holy Spirit can reside in our hearts, can't he? Yes? Oh, let me move on. Let's consider, is there a New Testament 
example of Psalm 51. That's interesting. I think there is. I'm getting a little hot dog. I might lose the microphone. Oh, dear it me. Getting a little warm. I read to you earlier on, our reading of the day was Romans chapter 7. And verse 7 to 25, I, I read the verses. And, and you can read them and examine them yourself, and I'm sure you do, men and women. Romans 7. We go back. I'd love to read it again, but my time is going to go. Romans 7. There's a title here. It says, The Christian Struggle. Do you struggle, men? Do we struggle? Am I on my own? Is it just me? I can hear two no's at the back. I think I'm united with two other brothers in Christ. There's a Christian struggle, Jeffro, And you'll be coming across upon it sometime. And I'm sorry to disappoint you, young man. But it, it, it tries to wrestle the best of us. And the worst of us. And I am very grateful. I'm very grateful because the writer is none other than the Apostle Paul. A man after God's own heart, is he? Yes. I'm just thankful that there God has taken a very, very well-educated man who sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Yes, he knew all the... You know, we have uh, Oxford, we have Cambridge, we have King's College London in Great Britain, we have St Andrews in Scotland, and we have some fine students that have graduated from each and every one of those universities. But Paul, he says in one of the letters, he was the best. He says he went to the finest of places. He, he studied the law. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was of the Pharisees. Unsurpassed. He was an intelligent man. And yet God brought him to his knees. And yet he served the Lord with all of his heart, with all his soul, with all of his strength. He put the commandments into practice. And did he struggle with coveting? He says that he did. And he says that when he read the commandment, that he coveted, and he discovered that he was full of sin. That's what it says. I can't look up all the verses. I do apologise. I've been reading... I've been reading Hendrickson, William Hendrickson, reformed commentator on the book of Romans. And he said, he said if you read the passage, which I read earlier on, that some of the early church fathers, even Augustine, they thought that this passage of Romans were the words of an unbeliever. They couldn't believe that a Christian man could write such a passage. How about that? That raises the eyebrows, doesn't it? Um, certainly it does. What we do, we have men, Christian men, 
What are they struggling with? They're struggling with their flesh. That's what they're struggling with, Mick. They struggle with their, their, the sin that lives in their members. It's living in my hands. And some people that upset me, I want to strangle them. Because there's sin in my hands. There's sin in my tongue. The things I would like to say, I try my hardest to bridle my tongue, said James. And there's sin in me. There's sin in my eyes. And I look at things I shouldn't look at. Am I on my own? (laughs) No, John. You're with good company. No, 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 we're not good company. We're bad company. Aren't we? Yes, John. We're struggling. What are you struggling with? Well, we're struggling with the flesh. That's what you're struggling with. Every one of us. Jan. I'm I'm telling you the truth. You think I'm mad. I'm not mad. I'm telling you. We want the spirit. The spirit is the spirit of God. If we had not the spirit of God, we would have been locked up. Long time ago. You know the man who came, you weren't here last week, we had a very good preacher called Phil. Do you know what he, he phoned me up in the week? Do you know what he told me? I need to take a breath, I'm going to fall over. He has been a prison officer. Paul said a screw. Yes, yeah, screw. He'd been a prison officer, i get my words right, for over 20 years, 20 years, as a prison officer with the keys, locking people up. And do you know what he said? He said some stuff to me. I don't know if I should be telling you. He has been having to look after the worst of what English society has had to produce. He's had to manage these men, criminals, gangsters, Pediophiles, rapists. He's had to look after them men for all them years. And we're talking about men out of control. Sin has got hold of them and possessed them and destroyed them. And the same sin in them is the same sin in us. It's in us. How do you get deliverance? How? Oh. We read this passage of Paul. The, this Paul is saying he's he's speaking out the same words that any one of them prisoners would have wanted to say, and he says in the last verse, he says, "Oh, thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord." So then, with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. We need deliverance by God. Only God can do it. Only the Spirit of God can come down into our lives and say, I need to save that man. I need to save that woman. Yes? People, I need to take a rest. What about this, right? What examples are there that we can think of in the New Testament? Oh, we've got the Bible, the Word of God. 
the holy book. Oh, it's about Jesus. It's about the angels. It's about Mary. It's about Joseph. It's about wonderful stories. It's about shepherds on the hillside. Oh, it's so nice. There's Moses, the murderer. <laughs> Does anybody call him the murderer? He murdered a man with his own hands because sin had hold of him. He didn't know the baptism in the spirit. He was struggling with sin and anger. He had a bad temper problem. That's Moses. We could go through the scriptures and we could examine the failures of godly men. Couldn't we? Yes. Saul of Tarsus, who Paul the Apostle wrote this, he was having Stephen stoned. What's he? These men, the same as us. I'm getting carried away. Peter, Jesus chose 12 disciples, told them everything he needed to tell them. And Peter said, Lord, I will die for you. I will die for you, Jesus Christ. I'm going to paraphrase. I'll not let you down, Jesus. I'm always going to be by your side. You mark my word. Mark my word, Lord Jesus. And what did Jesus say? I'll tell you before the day's over, the cock will crow three times and you will deny me three times. That was Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times. He'd been walking with the best friends for three years. Best friends. And when the going got tough, they all let him down. John hung around from a distance, Peter from a distance, but John stayed closest. But they let him down. He had been with them for three years. He'd been teaching them everything he could about spiritual things, the word of God. And just before the, before the arrest, they had a time, didn't they? They had a time together, I think it was the Last Supper. And what were they arguing? They were having an argument. They were having a dis- well, it started out probably a nice little debate, little discussion, but they ended up having an argument. Who was the greatest? This was his disciples. This was the men that he entrusted about the kingdom of heaven. And they're having an argument. I'm better than you, mate. Yeah, just remember that. I'm number one. Yeah, he loves me more than he does. Oh, sorry, guys. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, dear me, sorry, I better calm it down. They had an argument. Who was the greatest? Yes? And what about, this is the apostle of love, John. His brother is James. And somebody upset them and they said to the Lord, Lord, let us cool down fire from heaven and burn them up. That's what happened in Elijah's day, do you remember? And the Lord said, no, stop it. He rebuked them. He said, you don't know what spirit you are of. Remember? You know, you look at these men and you consider some of their failures and, you know, these were selfish men. Selfish. They they, they put themselves before all the others. Now we're told to consider others more important than yourself, aren't we? Yes, we are in the scriptures. I think it's in Philippians. But their desire was, Lord, they got their mum to go see Jesus and said, Mum, ask him, 
ask him if I can sit on the right side and James sit on the left side. Yes? Because they thought they were more important than the others. This is the sin of the human heart. Dear me. What have I come to understand about all of this? Well, I have to say this. I'll wrap it up. I'll bring it to the conclusion. It, to me, it reveals the displeasure that we all experience. It's not just me. It's all of us. We all have to battle with the flesh. The flesh is corrupt. The flesh, I mean... There's no, he said it in the passage, in me dwelleth no good thing. That's in my whole being, my thoughts, my heart, my emotions. There's no good thing. The only good thing in me, people, is that God's Holy Spirit. That's it. And you might argue with me and say, John, there must be something nice about me. Hey, Margie? You look at Jan, so lovely and innocent, you think there must be something lovely about Jan. There must be something lovely about Jackie and Janet. Shall I disappoint you? <laughs> you might tell me off afterwards over a cup of tea. You might throw it at me. In me dwelleth no good thing. It's only the Spirit of God. Isn't it, David? Isn't it, Paul? Dominic? Am I telling the truth? That's a very humble yes, wasn't it? <laughs> we need Jesus Christ in our life. And, and I remember meeting Don's dad for the first time. First time, 1988. I can remember the words now falling from his mouth. He said to me, I was getting very political at the time. Remember Margaret Thatcher over here, Ronald Reagan in America, Gorbachev. It was all going on. And Graham said to me, this world, everybody, they need Jesus Christ. They need to put him at the centre of their lives. They need to put him on the throne of their lives. He told the truth. I said to myself, this bloke's told me more truth in half, the, in half an hour than I've heard in my whole life. I'm telling you the truth today. The problem, it's not everyone else. The problem is we have a body full of sin and it's called flesh and blood. And we all want our own, we want our cake and we want to eat it. We want to eat it anyhow we like it. We want to eat it just how we, we want. We don't care about other people. But when the Spirit of God comes, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you're a different man. You're a different woman. You heard Phil said about Nicodemus last week. You need to be born again. That's what Jesus was talking about all the time. You need to get saved. That's what I'm saying. Today, this Paul, he said these things. He was born again. I'm going to skip a few things. And the struggle that we go through, I tell you, we have to be grateful, we have to be thankful that God used this man to tell us the truth. God used this man to just put it straight. And I'm going I'm to conclude because time is up. Let me look at you. Have you been struggling with something?
Is there issues going on in your life? Yeah? Are you under the circumstances or are you living above them? What's going on in your life? Do you feel like murdering the neighbour? Huh? Do you feel like running off with your, your boss's wife? Well, this has happened in the scriptures, hasn't it? Yes, John. Was the life treating you good? <laughs> you had a good week? <laughs> what about the devil? Is he on your case? I think I'll have a look at every one of you. I don't know. Maybe. You ever, when I was a boy, we used to watch wrestling. Saturday afternoon, 4pm, cup of tea, cream donut, Jim breaks on the telly, yeah, giving it all large, crybaby Jim breaks, they used to call him, yeah, well maybe the devil like Jim breaks has got you in a condemnation headlock and you can't breathe, you're about to pass out, huh? That's what's going on, that's what goes on in life. But we thank our Lord, remember that verse, we thank our Lord, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Listen, repent. Repent. And if you're struggling to repent, ask the Lord to give you the strength. Ask the Lord to pour out the Holy Spirit into your life that you can repent. You can do it. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who... Yes, you can do it. And guess what? Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 1. To bless your socks off. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk after the flesh. <sighs> they walk after the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what we want, isn't it, brothers and sisters? And if that would be the case, there is now therefore no condemnation. The devil will have to let go of that headlock that he's got you in. And you can say, get me behind me, Satan. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God! And by the stripes of Jesus Christ, I'm healed! Hallelujah! Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. We are so grateful that you are helping us, that you poured out the Holy Spirit, that he came on that day of Pentecost and filled the hearts of the disciples. And Lord, we pray, we pray that we can have that same baptism in our lives, that we can walk and talk the things of God in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We meet at Grove Hill Community Center at 11.30 p.m. in Hemel Hempstead. God bless you.